my fiance was set up in a sting and did not know it, but he was communicating with a said minor, but wasn't a minor. This episode contains sensitive topics. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. Sometimes you have to go through the darkness to reach the light. That's what I did. After 12 years of recovery in sex and love addiction, I finally found my soulmate, myself. Please join me in my novel, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict, a four-time bestseller on Amazon. It's a brutal, honest, raw, gnarly ride, but hilarious at the same time. Check it out now on Amazon. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know those deep, dark secrets you probably want to take to your grave? Or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing? Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Jeannie. Now, Jeannie, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What is your secret? My secret is I am engaged to a level one sex offender. Oh, okay. What is a level one sex offender? Level one is usually not one that you would be able to look up on any regular data site, only because their their offenses are so minimal. It could be, you know public urination it could be you know a light and decent indecent exposure Mm -hmm. um and in my case my fiance was set up in a sting and did not know it but he was communicating with a said minor but wasn't a minor oh okay take us back first of all how long have you been with him um well we started dating in early 2021 that's when we met and how did you meet uh, we met on an online dating site, um, the most popular one that's out there, Tinder. But he had already been, and prior to that, and what had got him to that point of communicating with that said person, he was already down a rabbit hole of mm-hmm. addiction and being meeting people for just sex. And he right. was on um, Adult Friend Finder, a couple other, I call them sleazy dating sites. And um, he was he was down a dark path. So he was addicted to the fantasy of of the other person online well I don't think I I think when the person and he's not naturally attracted to younger people he was just the act of being sexually engaged with anyone and who was easy and readily available that was his target if you were ready to go do you think if it's even if it's even that is it what did he ever say to you and I know we're like jumping already into it and I want to like backtrack a little but did he ever say to you because it was like a little wrong he was communicating with her like because we as we get more in our addiction it gets darker and seedier and the mm-hmm. things you thought you wouldn't do you find yourself you doing doing yes mm-hmm. um i i don't think he ever entertained that thought enough to think that he would go that direction it was mm-hmm. just all about real meet have sex be done never talk to that person again Mm. Or if they called him back, maybe. And when I met him, mm-hmm. his intent for me was to be a friends with benefit. Mm. And I was like, well, okay, I see that's the route you want to go. But I mean, 
and I had, I had been in the dating scene too, and I didn't know quite understand what the friends with benefit was completely defined as I knew it, but I didn't know it. And when I asked him, so what is your definition of friends with benefit? He goes, Oh, two or three people. I go, well, don't you think that's a little unhealthy? I mean, yeah. I mean, unsafe. Cause then it gets sloppy. It gets mm-hmm. kind of, you don't know, communication can get lost and you know, you risk the chance of STDs and STIs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know about this secret until three months after we started seeing each other and hanging out a lot. And he, and because of my job too, I worked then with the state and he knew I was a mandated reporter. Really? Wait. So he picked a mandated reporter and didn't tell you for three months. Right. But after this, he had already been in the trial part of his case. Okay. His incident happened three months prior than me. Can you take us through what actually happened with him? So people listening, I want them to hear what actually happened. So okay. he was talking to some young... Multiple people he was talking to. And okay. then one of them, you know, somebody would grab on and, and, and kind of communicate a little bit more. And they started talking about uh, meeting up. And she mentioned something. I've read the, the reports. I've read the psychosexual evaluation. I've read the police reports. I've even seen a cell phone with all the details on it. Mm-hmm. Um, the the said young lady said that she was scared to do it at first because she hadn't actually had sex with somebody of his st- stature, stature mm-hmm. and was hesitant about it. And he goes, oh, well, we can take it slow and we can do it all. And I said, so you did want to do this? He goes, yeah, but I kind of entertained it to the fact that I knew I was going to be meeting her in a public place and meeting her to say, are you sure you really want to ruin your life like this? That's what he discussed with me afterwards. And I said, so you wouldn't have met her in a private place knowing that how old she said was. And he goes, no, I don't think I could have actually went through with the act. Mm. And how old did she say she was? 15. 15. And how old is he? He was in his early 40s. Okay. So he, did he end up meeting her or he went to the place and he then went he to got the public arrested? Place that, mm-hmm. Yep. And as soon as he pulled up, they knew exactly what car he was, who would he look like. They immediately arrested him, didn't tell him what it was about. They mm-hmm. took him from one place and they, they grilled him mm-hmm. um, saying, how, how would you like this if this was your daughter, blah, blah, blah. And he knew what was up. He knew what had happened at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, he did spend two nights in jail. Mm-hmm. And when he Does went he to, have any to jail- kids? Yes, he does. He has two. Two. And they're adults. Boys or girls? One boy, one girl. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And I have and I have three myself. So I have two girls and a boy. Okay. So, okay. How old are your kids? Uh, well, one's 24, mm-hmm. 21, and 19. Got it. So they were all of, well, one was not an adult when I had met him. But after he had told me, I was very careful of watching him and seeing how his responses were and how he was with my kids. Because mm-hmm. if I would have gotten any kind of feeling that there was something off, I would have immediately said, yeah, we can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, he disclosed it to um, a couple of people after he was done. He um, went through treatment and did the the legal treatment that was required. He also, in addition to helping himself, he also had the opportunity of having an, a counselor free of charge to him. Not This isn't for everybody. Um, it's only because of um, his service background. He has ex- access to having extra counseling. So right, right. that benefited him, I think, in the most in his healing process and understanding and getting through those ropes of learning what he did was wrong with the communication of an inappropriate context with a minor. It was a heavy load when he hit me with this. I, yeah, I was I want to talk about that, actually. And then I have more questions about his healing because I actually want to hear a little more about it. But how was that? 
I'll let's call it D-Day when he told you. How did that go? Where were you? How did you feel? Uh, we went on a day trip that day. We were doing some cool photography of some vintage cars. And mm-hmm. then we stopped at a restaurant, played pool, came back. And then I, I always drove. I don't mm-hmm. I just was a thing I did. And um, he said, I have something I really need to tell you. It's it's kind of my own secret. And I was like, okay. And he told me, he just closed me because I got in, in trouble with the sting. And this is what happened. And I said, wow, that's a big thing that happened. And, and I'm really glad you told me. And I, I handled it very, very calmly. I didn't freak out on him. Mm-hmm. And of course, it took me probably about, I mean, I, I still communicated with him and I, I asked him what his intent was. I mean, we as we got farther, he opened up more and more and more with me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was just, I had to really, I did go to counseling myself. Good. at that time because and I wanted to understand I to me I think I wanted to know how can I help this person even if it's not for me mm-hmm. maybe it's the next woman that he ends up dating that he gets the treatment he gets he gets all the things his kids appreciate the fact that dad's you know done the things for himself um because I think that's the meaningful part and I told him I said don't make this about me ever I want this to be about what you want to do I want it to be for your family for your job so you don't ever lose it for your, you know, for your community involvement, me last. And I, and it took a while. I mean, I had a long, a lot of discussions, a lot of journaling. I wrote down a lot of stuff. Oh man. I I burned that book. Actually. I called it the burn book afterwards. I I wrote down all the stuff and then I burned it. But yes, um, it was, it was pretty impactful. And I did end up disclosing it to my supervisor at work because I knew that I was in that position where if it were ever to be brought up legally and if it were found, I didn't want it to be contingent on me or my job. And what did they say? She understood it. She was very, and because my job, the way it was at that mm-hmm. point, they were very, she was very understanding and keeping keeping it as confidential as possible. And I told her, I promise that he's not going to be in any settings around here, no family events until we know when the legal trial is done. And that's when he was, when the legal trial was done, mm-hmm. that's when he was labeled as a one and he was on restriction for he had travel he had to get travel things to go see me because we were in different counties okay so he had to he had to get a travel voucher from his probation officer Mm -hmm. um and he would come down once a week and I would come up to his place every other week or so like that and that's how we would see each other we would go back and forth um also when he went to this legal thing he had asked the judge asked his attorney that he had hired to Mm -hmm. say well, my girlfriend that I'm seeing does have one son that's 17 and a half. Can I put his name on the, you know, being supervised by her? And he, they, they asked the judge that and he granted it. Okay. So, but ever since then, we, I, it, after 2021, and then we, we dated for probably about a good six or seven months. And then I ended up moving into his place with his kids. Cause then my kids all got their own places and my youngest went to their dads mm-hmm. and not, and none of this was to my understanding in relation to my relationship, except for the fact that mom's moving on. Did, does any of your kids know about it or is this like a yes. secret? A lot of people don't nope. know. Nope. Mm-hmm. Um, I had actually talked to them a little bit about it. And then mm-hmm. I talked to uh, my fiance about it. And I said, this is mostly your story to tell. So if you ever want to sit down and openly talk to them about it. And I go ask them, I go, did you guys ever want to hear it? And they're like, no, we know what we know. And that's all we need to know. And you know what? Mm-hmm. We, they all have a wonder since it's been about two and a half, almost two years that they, we all have a great relationship. Um, and it's worked out. It, they, they see him for who he is genuinely as a person now, because he's overcome a lot of hurdles and the reason why he went down that dark path and, and became a, an addicted person, because 
at a young age, he was pushed into being an instant father and married very quickly to a very older woman who already had kids. So he always oh, felt so like he, was, he never... was sexualized very young then. Yes. He was, and, if and, he was with an older woman, whether he was of age or not, that, that can be a permanent damage to you. Right. So, and then of course that marriage being as long as it was, there was a How lot of, he never it? felt 18 years. Wow. Yeah. There was a lot of what he told me, he felt like a doormat and a paycheck, probably about the, the same time he told me about this legal problem. He felt like a doormat and a paycheck in that and his wife's and his wife's life. And, and do I you think it. then he started acting out online to escape that relationship? Oh, he had numerous affairs while he was married. Right. He was trying to get away from that whole, he wanted that connection with somebody who saw something in him. And the only thing he saw that he was useful for was for sex. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, I'm a sex addict. I'm a sex and love addict. And I totally get when we use our sexuality or try to connect with other people through that. But it's like he went to the extreme because he was so disconnected from himself and his sexuality was taken away. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So So how far did it go down? Did he actually ever, did he ever meet any minors or was that the first and only one? Or have you asked him? That that? was the first and only one. And I did ask him that. Mm -hmm. I asked him if he was ever attracted to him. I even went back and ended up reading your book too. And I asked him, I go, did you ever have any incidences in your younger life where you may have been exposed to these kind of things because that's what I've seen a lot when I work with my former job is seeing a pattern of exposure and it just kind of continues and it's one of those things that either people either can identify it learn to get the treatment and stop it or they can continue to choose doing that same thing over and over and over again until they don't see a problem with it and what did he say when you asked him that he never had that kind of exposure he wasn't he lost his virginity at an older age he was I know but uh, even with porn and stuff did he what look at porn at a young age Cause that's a big um, factor. You know, he may have had touch and go with that, but he mm-hmm. never told me that he was ever addicted to the porn or anything. Gotcha. He was, it's just, I mean, he, he, to me, from what my background of, of going through the schooling that I went through and also understanding a background for casework mm-hmm. that, you know, there's nothing that significant a red flag to me that says, Oh, he had this kind of exposure as a youngster. And this is why it's just a lot of, I think a lot of it mostly had to do with his parents being divorced, his dad not coming around, not having that love and connection and attention, then being married to an older woman and still then falling in that whole trap of not feeling the love and connection. And, and it just seemed like fantasy it kept playing online out. and those connections that feel real, but they're actually false connections. And then the stakes keep getting higher to get the hit and high you want. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that and was one of the his books, downfall, right? Is he does he get online anymore now, or is that a no go? Very little. No, he he's only on a couple of very uh, social medias, and he allows me to look at what he has. Good. He has no problem with me looking at what he has. Um, I, there used to be a time in the beginning of our relationship, his phone was always face down. He'd always have think notifications off, mm-hmm. and I knew for the probably about the first six months he was still coming off of that high of being connected to those people. Oh um, yeah, it was, takes a while. It's it, it's it's yeah. like a process. You actually, if you can't, it's very hard to go cold turkey off of online anything. Even online gaming, it's hard to go cold turkey. It's very difficult. Exactly. I mean, even in the beginning of our relationship, um, I had caught him. Uh, he was going to hook up with some gal after we had had a huge weekend, a holiday weekend together. And then mm-hmm. um, he was um, trying to persuade the the neighbor that lived over at another place that we lived at together. And um, it, it, I caught it. 
And yeah. he, he tried to lie about it at first, but then he felt really bad and he, he backed down and it was just like, I, it was wrong. I should have never flirted with her. I should have never kissed her on the, even though we were seeing each other. It was just, I was just thinking I can get away with it. And that was, Do you right know before. why he did that? Why you guys were getting closer? Why he did that? Not in, I mean, I do, but I don't, it's like, I can't go in his brain and actually pinpoint what it is, but he, I can only go by what he tells me. Well, it's a definitely fear of intimacy. So if you're getting closer to him in real life, he does anything he can to make that disconnection and go somewhere else. So it's, it's him chasing still that fantasy at that time, because it was getting too real probably for you guys. That is probably exactly it. Cause it was right before I, I had moved in with him. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what always happens. Yeah. They all, you know, <laughs> I was talking with somebody and they were like, every time we go, my boyfriend and I go on a family vacation, he picks a fight with me afterwards. And I'm like, yeah, because he's terrified of real intimacy. So he picks a fight with you because it was too real and he can't, it's he, he didn't come from that background. So he doesn't know how to process it. it that's right. That's mm-hmm. a very good analogy. Um, one of the books that I did did read with him, and I'm probably sure you're familiar with it. It's called Out of the Shadows by Patrick Carnes. It oh, was yeah, I love that book. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It is. If anybody's ever going through this kind of process. And and one thing I do want to disclose about him being a sex offender, and I don't want people to turn away from these people. Yes, there's people that have got extreme patterns of you know child molestation, rape, and things like mm-hmm. that. But with his being a level one the way it was, and going through the treatment, it is not an easy process because these people have to pay for this. It's no different from drug rehab. You have to pay yep. for it. Yep. And if you can't get a job anywhere because of those legal things that you have pressed against you, then how are you able to afford the treatment to go forward? Yeah, it's a lot of money. With people with this addiction, yeah. this t- tendency, it's really hard to get recovery. Yeah, I think it was about $400 every month for him. And he would have meetings once a week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and with the group, and he would tell me all about the meetings. I told, I've never told him to tell me anything. I let him do, I said, if you want to share, that's great. I'm here to be here to listen to you and help you through anything. And that's why when I read through that book, I literally went through and I understood every piece of it. So I knew how to support him. And that was a big thing. And then I read your, well, I listened to yours on audio but <laughs> I, all the, all those resources, I got all my resources together. It's like, if I'm going to be anything to this man, I'm going to be a resource and help for him and get him through this. Like I said, it wasn't, I didn't want him to make it about me. I wanted it to be for himself and his family first. Yeah. And I think it's really beautiful as a partner, the non-judgmental and not taking it on. It's about you. You know, I even work with a lot of partners and help them see like this addiction has nothing to do with you. If he's going to go do that, it has no reflection of you. It's right. his own. But then I always have like what in you, though, are not showing up. What in you depicts somebody unavailable, but it seems like he's doing the work. So you're showing up completely available and saying, here, you have to do your work and it's all on you. But I will show up for you. Yep. You see how, exactly. it's, how it's different how you're handling it than majority of the people because they make it about them. And it's not about them. He has a disease. He has a sickness. He he's trying to escape himself in some way. Exactly. Yeah. And I really dug deep into that because I wanted him to know that I want to understand every element of this. So I know, I mean, everything that, you know, even when you talk about um, the whack-a-mole addiction, like he used to also be a smoker and Mm -hmm. he just recently quit smoking. And so I said, so have you found yourself finding addiction to anything else? And then lately it's been, you know, I call it the TikTok rabbit hole. 
Oh, TikTok is a huge one. Oh, that is a huge addiction. I, I actually, it's, it's bad. So how, what is he doing now? So he's going down that, that rabbit hole of watching videos. Yeah. But, and I want to back it up just a little bit, but before then we, when he was going to counseling and I was going to counseling and because we had had those hurdles of him still trying to interact with people and trying to get better and then going into counseling, Mm -hmm. I said, I actually sat down and said, let's come up with healthy things that we can do. So we started doing more stuff in the kitchen. We started making cakes together. We started making other recipes together. We've gone camping, Another thing we did is, I don't know if you've heard, you've seen those glass cubes that people put like fairy lights in, but mm-hmm. instead of putting fairy lights in, every time we went out somewhere, like even a coaster or a menu or something small that we could put in there, little trinkets, and we started collecting memory jars. We're on our fifth one right now. And they're positive things. I always told them, let's think of positive things that we can change those negative things that you are so easily fallen into. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the biggest thing is, is another part of me working with him to better himself. But I also love that. Yes, I, I'm all about positivity, but, but there's a there's a time and a place for it. So he mm. still had to go through the negative stuff with his therapy, his groups, whatever he's doing. And then you be, you know, there, there next to him and then trying to expand his life and try instead of making it smaller. Right. I don't look at it as positivity. I just look at it as you expanding you guys' life together. And that's a good way to put it. Definitely. Definitely. It's like I try not to monitor him, but I do monitor him. I think that's just my fear of, you know, him going down that addiction hole. But I, I think we're kind of far enough away from it now. But I always do check-ins. Yeah, I, do I think, it, I think it's important the first five to 10 years, you kind of have to do check-ins. You know, I don't ever suggest to make sure you're checking it 24-7. But when you're getting out of this specific addiction, it is the hardest one to get out of. And it is you have to be diligent and little things can trigger you just if even seeing something on a website. So it is always important for them to have accountability. Like for me, I had accountability with my partner. It just is. It's, It's you showing up authentically, but there has to be no judgment on the other side. And I think that's where you're, you have a good balance with it. Yes. Yes. I think, and that is one of our strong suits from coming from both of our our rocky marriages that we've had and uh, the lack of communication was the hardest part that we didn't understand a lot Mm -hmm. from our marriage. We didn't, it it just wasn't there. And I think that's what has helped us in our relationships, like communication, communication, communication. We have to talk about it, even if it's the nitty gritty and it hurts and it it feels like it's going to, you know, it's just ugly. We have to talk about it. You do. All, communication is the most important. But I am going to ask you a question and it's going to be might be difficult to answer because we do have okay. if someone has a young child that this has happened to them, what would be your what would you say to them? How would you explain like, you know, his side to them to make them feel understanding or maybe there's nothing you can say. So I, I don't know. So I was wondering if you've ever thought about that. Uh, I have thought about that. Um, I was with him when he was really restricted. And as far as the restriction goes, too, they even monitored his phone. Yeah. They monitored his electronic devices on any communication, anything he searched. If you searched anything about anatomy, they would have dinged him and he would have been in trouble by his PO in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I was out in public with him, um, there was a lot of questions asked, um, even from his treatment counselor saying, did you have a kid come up and touch you or bump into you? Did you, are you, you know, if something like that happens, you need to, you know, say something and express it and be, 
tell people any people in your group how you feel. Mm-hmm. I think if there was anything that I could tell that there was something discomforting, like if a kid was being too close to him and he was just like, uh, I need to get, you know, this makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to get in trouble again. I don't want to yeah. feel like I'm going to get prosecuted for this kid coming at me. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just about us learning boundaries and because, you know, we're much older and our kids are much older. And of course there's going to be kids coming into our life that are younger, mm-hmm. you know, from them having their children. Um, it, it's his story to tell again. Yeah. I've always said it, it's his story to tell. And if he feels that it's something that's going to make him uncomfortable in a setting in a place with uh, lots of children around, then I've always told him we can go, we can leave. We don't have to stay here. Okay. And um, if any parents that have dealt with that, their younger kids talking to older people online, what would be your advice for them? Just because you've dealt with it on the other side. You know, as a parent myself, I monitored my kids' devices. I paid for it. I monitor it. Amen. I, I, and I know, <laughs> I, I, you know, and I hate it when people sit there, well, my kid won't, you know, we'll take their device away. They don't need it. You tell them you'll pick them up and drop them off. You'll be there. Um, Do it like we did I've in the 80s, <laughs> you know, where yeah. you didn't even have a cell phone or a phone. <laughs> I'm I'm picking you up at so-and-so's house. And if you're not there, I know you were lying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, also working part of my line of work that I worked with, uh, with reading cases, there were young girls who had been sexualized younger. Well, then most likely they, there's a brokenness about them. You know, I work with a lot of young, young girls, especially 15 and 16 year olds. And anybody that's online looking for that, connection is lacking a connection in their real life that's just exactly. how it is some damage was yeah. done some abandonment some low self-esteem you know fear of intimacy fear of being loved but i believe that this social media world we live in is making it a thousand times worse oh definitely it is it's and and it's tough and even in the field where i'm at now i won't disclose because i don't want too much getting okay. out there but i see <laughs> i see people even the the kids that are on these cases on zoom and I see their zoom profile picture mm-hmm. and then they come on and I'm like, Whoa, I would have instantly thought that that person that was in that picture was over 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And I thought how dangerous when I know that that person that's really on that zoom is under 18. Yeah. It's so scary. And they're wanting to grow up so quickly as well. You know, there's always that need as a young child. I mean, I even wanted to grow up quickly. We all do, but we have to protect the innocent even from themselves. Right. Exactly. I do have one more question I, I'm dying to ask. So I do have a son. So okay. I just, we were just talking about the same thing, but how do I protect my son? He's four and a half, but how do I protect him from online predators, however they are innocent or not? How do I protect him? Again, monitoring him. What is he going on, you know, and educating him. That's mm-hmm. not a safe place. There's probably people in there that are not okay to talk to, um, you know, and if somebody asks you questions that you don't feel comfortable, you tell me right away. Yeah. Uh, even some of the stuff that my kids used to play, like Club Penguin back in the day, there was always somebody on there and they would start cursing at them. Oh my God, mom, this person's cursing at me. And I'm like, uh, report them, <laughs> report them right away. Cause I don't know who they are. I don't know. They could be some... 30 something year old playing around on a kid's game, trying to, you know, get kids. And, you know, like I said, I monitored a lot of stuff. I monitored even Snapchat. I monitored my kids on that. Um, They told me some kid was getting ready to want to fight another kid. I said, shut it down. Don't get in the middle of it. And we're going to take it to school. 
Yes, I love that. That's great too. I love having you on. Is there anything else you want to share that you feel like you need to come on and and talk about so people understand the other side of this behavior? I don't like it when people sit there and generalize that all sex offenders are bad. They should be shot or killed or hurt or something in that way. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, as a society that's already lacking a lot of strength in the mental health field that we really need to take a step back and saying, you know what, they're still in our community. They're still around. We don't know what it is. They're still humans. They're still breathing. They're still human. Yeah. Uh, And it's easy for a sex and love addict to fall in that trap. Because mm-hmm. it's such, it, it's that fine line that all of a sudden you could just whoop, go right over there and be like, oh, I really didn't want to go that far. Yeah. Um, and we need to, I just really wish the world or the United States in general would really focus on mental health a lot more. And I wish it wasn't so expensive so these people can get the treatment they need so they can stop the cycle. Because when they don't get the treatment they need, they're right back on the street doing what they've been normally doing. To survive. It's a survival tactic to numb out and not be in reality. That's all it is. It it really is. It's living in fantasy. So you don't have to live in reality with how you're feeling. Right. And and there are some that are, you know, against the grain with the whole thing. Like I said, I've I've read cases where people are the the registered non-registered sex offenders target younger, young women or women in general with young kids, and they just perpetrate on them and drug habits. And it's just like, you know, again, if we had the money going the right direction for those things, we would have a lot of healthier people. I did, you know, the extreme cases for sure, the ones that have raped or hurt children in that way, mm. there is a perversion that they want to take the innocence because they never had that innocence. So I was talking right. one time to a professional about it. She specializes in it and it's like, that is a mental health issue that you actually have to go and work on because they're stuck in this adolescent style of sexuality and wanting to connect to when they were that young. Right. She, she had a whole different idea around it, what I, which I found fascinating because, you know, a lot of sexual predators are in se- SA and SLAA and I see them all the time and I'm friends with some that have had issues in the past and and they're good people. They were just struggling themselves with mental health addiction and all of that. Yeah. One thing I explained when my fiance first got into his group setting, I said, I just want you to keep in mind. And this is something that I had to keep in mind when I've read cases a lot was you, these people didn't just wake up one day and decide, you know, I'm just going to go molest people. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just, they, no, it was something that is a pattern behavior that had happened. Something had happened to them. Yep. It all and I, I could read every psychological background that I've ever read and I'd be like, boom, there it is. Well, boom, yeah, it is. and it's and generational. It. Usually it's passed down. If it, yeah. if, it, if it happened in the family, it's usually passed down in generations. If people exactly. don't actually do the work they need to see why that happened to them or heal from right. Exactly. Just like rage, just like violence that happens. It's passed down. Everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you've got it. It's, you know, like I said, it's the stopping it with the mental health and, and wanting it to stop. Well, I am so grateful to have you on. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for reaching out to me. I'm honored and I really appreciate it. Appreciate you too. I appreciate your book and everything about it. You helped me a great deal. Mm -hmm. I had him listen to it. He loved it too. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I would have really loved for him to be here, but I thought, you know, I'm going to tell it from my story this time. I'm going to tell it from my point of view. No, I love it. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. 
All right. Thank you. And if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon. Thank you.